Hear this. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord, descending from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he's been raised as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he's been raised from the dead. And indeed, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came to him, took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. The word of the Lord. Join me in a prayer. There is a day, O God, in which you lift us up, it is this day. If there is a day that you put hope deep in the depths of our soul, it is this one. Remind us of that great promise of new life that comes for you that we see. Help us to know it. Help us with not only new life with you, but with new life together, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. He's not here, the angel said. He's been raised. What a statement. Wow. It is a statement that has been bugging us, plaguing us, capturing our attention for over centuries of thought and asking questions and wondering about it all. He's not here. He's been raised. It's not the he's not here part that we get caught up on necessarily. That one's kind of an easy one. I mean, all they had to do was walk into the tomb to figure that one out, you know, go in. Is he in there? No, not here. He's gone. Okay, we can check that off the list. That one we, we understand. When something's missing, it's quite obvious, quite clear. No, no, it's the he's been raised part that sticks. That's the one that, that we wrestle with. He's not here. He's been raised. How do we know it happened? How do we know that in some way this actually took place? Where's the proof? What evidence do we have to show the court? Where's the DNA test? We don't have one, of course. In fact, we have no proof at all in the way that we like to have proof for something like this. In fact, to 
prove the resurrection is as hard as it is to prove the existence of God. As Abraham Heschel puts it, there are no proofs of the existence of God. There are only witnesses. Oh, well, if you need witnesses, witnesses you want, witnesses we've got. We've got witnesses, four to be exact. Oh, there are other witnesses running around out there in different places. But over the years, we've come down to decide that there are four credible witnesses. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We've all got them right there. Let's put them on the witness stand. Let's let them testify to the court exactly what happened on that day. Let's see what happens if we did. You want to know what would happen if we did? If we put them all up there on the stand together, I can tell you, it would be madness. It would be intense, I'm telling you. It would make the congressional hearings on the next candidate for justice of the Supreme Court look like preschool. <laughs> be wild. But it wouldn't be wild because the prosecutor has to grill it. The reason it would be so crazy and out, out there is because none of the four of them would be able to agree on actually what took place. They'd all be in a different place. All the prosecutor's got to do is stand up and simply say to them, well, if you could, please, because that's how prosecutors talk, you know, if you could, please. Explain to the court exactly what happened on that day. And Matthew might be the first one to, to pop up, you know, because Matthew has to get the first word in. That's what I always feel like. I feel like we put Matthew first because if we didn't, we'd hurt his feelings. That's why he's the first gospel. He'd chime in. He'd say something like, well, as I recall, it was after the, the Sabbath and Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Right, right, Luke would say. And, and I mean, Mark would say, and Salome, don't forget Salome, right. And Luke would add, and the other women, don't forget the No, 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 Matthew would come back. There's not any other. Yeah, there was, John would say. There's Peter. Don't forget Peter. He went, because that's what I wrote in my gun. No, no, it's, my, it's Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. That's it. That's all that was there. And, you know, no, it's Peter, no, it's that. And the prosecutor would then have to say, please keep to the story. Okay, right, right, right. Matthew would go on and say, and then there was this big earthquake, and an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and rolled the stone away right in front of their eyes and then sat on it. And other gospel writers would look at him right then and go, where in the world did you get that? That is not what happened at all. They went to the tomb and already found it empty, right, Luke says. And then they went in, and that's when they find the two guys sitting there in white robes. No, Luke, Mark would correct him. It's one guy in white robes. It's not two. No, it was two. No, Matthew would say. It's Mary Magdalene and Mary the other, and it's an angel. And the guards, they... Passed out out of fear. No, where are these? No, where are you getting this stuff, Matthew? I don't even know what you're starting to make this up as you go along. Matthew would chime in again, say it's the angel that told him to go tell the disciples. Right, Mark would say, and but they didn't. They ran out of the tomb and didn't say anything to anyone because they were so afraid. John would jump in right there and say, how is that possible? If they said nothing to anyone, how do we know about it then? That doesn't, that is just 
dumb. No, Matthew would make sure to say at that point, that's when the angel told them to go. And they went and discovered Jesus on the way to telling, to telling the disciples. Right, John says. But actually, that's not really true because Mary Magdalene is the one that stayed at the tomb weeping. And that's when she found, no, that's not right. Yes, no, no. And they just get so frustrated, at which point the prosecutor would simply have to st easily stand up and say to the judge, Your Honor... I rest my case, right? What a mess it would be. What a case to try and prove. In fact, as one New Testament scholar admits, we would have to concede that this case is deeply flawed if we're trying to present it to the court. Deeply Flawed. But I'll tell you, if I was a defense attorney, what I would do to present my side, I would simply stand up and go straight to my closing argument. I would stand up and say, I submit to the court that the very testimony you've just heard is in fact evidence that it actually happened. Why? Because when we experience shock and a traumatic event in our lives, and there's a group of people that experience it all at the same time, no, no one of us walks away with the same story. We all have different experiences from it. Things are in different order. We don't quite get the same people there. I smell biscuits baking, did you? No, there were no biscuits. I mean, you just, it goes into the realm of the random and what our experience was. We each experience something different. And it's precisely because the gospel writers get it different that is a evidence that the event actually happened. The only time we get our details straight is when we make up the story ourselves. As one commentary puts it, the very thing, the very reason that the gospel writers get it so screwed up is a reminder to us that the resurrection is not a carefully constructed myth, but is in fact an attempt by everyone to explain something that is absolutely inexplicable. That's what makes it so real. Because there are so many different accounts of the resurrection itself. So, we're the ones actually that get all hung up on the details. We always do. We get hooked on the details, don't we? We, we, we start to, to salivate when we can get our little tweezers in on, on the details of what someone is telling us so that we can tell them where they're wrong and prove ourselves right. We love trying to prove and discount other things and, and that's not why this story was written. This story was not written to be presented in a courtroom Resurrection was not meant to be proven. Resurrection is meant to be lived. It's meant to be lived.
whole reason that the angel, and then even Jesus again in Matthew's version of the story, tells Mary Magdalene or whoever was there to go tell the disciples to go on to Galilee and that's where Jesus will be is not so that they can begin to stockpile their evidence and prove their case, but is instead meant to motivate them to go out and seek the risen Christ out in the world where he's already gone ahead of us. In a sense, to live a life of faith is to always be on the way to Galilee, encountering the, encountering the risen Christ on the way, sharing new life in Christ with anyone we can put our hands on. That's what makes us Easter people. We don't need proof of the resurrection. We are the proof. By how we live. By how we love. Find resurrection out in the world. Go be part of it. Share new life with others. Anyone you can find. Look for the risen Christ. The life of Christ. In every single moment you have. Yesterday we did have our Easter egg hunt. I use that word loosely. <laughs> hunt, event, uh, mob scene. <laughs> Seems more fitting. Easter egg mob scene. Maybe that's what we'll name it next year. And for the second year in a row, we welcomed hundreds of people from families, from refugee families that are being helped by our partner Gateway of Grace here in Dallas. And it, it, was, it was an incredible day. And every time that happens, want to know what I, my takeaway is? My takeaway is this. If you want to learn from someone what it's like to live in what I would call a Good Friday world, a world that seems hell-bent on destroying ourselves rather than learning how to love one another, to live in that kind of a harsh world, meet a refugee, talk to them, listen to them tell your sto their story, hear their story, and in a matter of minutes, you will realize that you don't have to explain to them at all what a Friday world looks like. They've lived it. Some of them narrowly escaping their home countries with their lives so that they might give their families a better chance at new life. For them, this is their Galilee. And yesterday, we welcomed them. And we would do it again Again, why? Because if resurrection teaches us nothing else about how to live in a Good Friday kind of world, it teaches us that we are the ones who look for new life together in the midst of even the worst kinds of places and the worst situations. We are the ones who are the bearers of new life in Christ, sharing it with anyone we can get our hands on. We are Easter people. So if you're watching the news and you start to get worried about how worlds may collide, 
Don't shy away. Don't run and hide. Put your faith in the promise of Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, confide. Trust that God will abide. The one who brings life on the other side. Yes, life on the other side and life abundant. He's risen. He's not here. Go and live like it. Go and love like it. Be Easter 